Stop what you're doing. Stop. Stop right there. Okay. Let's go. You're now tuned into the hottest show on the planet. The Smith Express Show. Yo, yo, yo. What's poppin'? What's poppin'? It's your boy, Smith. We're here live on the Smith Express Show. Today's a crazy day. Got, once again, another living legend. Dope oh, MC. Man. You know what I'm saying? Iconic Southern rapper. None other than That's the big right. homie. Bubba Sparks was cracking, my dude. Man, Chris, man. A little bit of, little bit of life going on, man. It's, 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 uh, it's all good. I appreciate you talking to me. And, uh, and man, it's, it's been an incredible journey, man. I appreciate all the kind words. Uh, no problem, no problem, man. Hey, you've been at it for a minute, man. Salute for having longevity, for real. Something that's missing in the game today. Man, I just love it. You know what I mean? It's 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 not a um it's not a job to me. It's not a career. It's uh it's it's like Jay Z said. It's like it's how I get through life. You know what I'm saying? Like it's therapy for me. It's um it's a function of my spirit. You know what I'm saying? So I don't as long as I'm mentally able, you know, and as long as I have the the, the mental faculties and the wherewithal to do it, I'm gonna always write and record hip hop music. You know what I'm saying? That's dope. So. I, I, so I'll be 85, God willing, if I live that long. Uh, I'll be I'll be making music, period, because this, this is what I do. Man, that's awesome, bro. So what was, like, some of your inspirations and motivations from the jump? Like, what started, what made you get into the um, hip-hop scene and want to become a rapper? Well, you know, I can't, music was never, like, in my family, in my household growing up. It was never really, like, at the forefront, you know what I'm saying? But... At the same time, I came from the music interests and tastes that were represented. I got two older brothers, two older sisters, but one of my brothers like loved like to this day loves like uh, heavy metal, like Iron Maiden. That old band was his favorite band, you know, still is his favorite band. And then I had another brother that was um, he loved like Parliament Funk, you know, like George Clinton and uh, and stuff like that, like. And then my, my pops, he loved like old school country, you know, like George Jones was his favorite singer. And um, and so, and my mama, she ain't really like, she wasn't into music like that. She just loved to dance, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? When she, when she, she'd get to drinking and she, she loved to dance. But, um, and so, but, but based on that background, I really, I could have took music or left it. I was really more into sports as a child, but when I heard, Hip hop. When I first got introduced to hip hop music, you know, it, I was I was head over heels in love. You know, for, it, I I knew it pretty much instantly that it was gonna change my life because I just loved it that much. I just and that was more. I came into it like um, like the when the West Coast was was initially coming to the forefront, like Too Short, N.W.A., Easy E era. Um, you know, Two Live Crew was um was like in the ghetto boys were like the the two preeminent you know southern uh hip-hop entities and and you know i heard i heard that somebody say hey we want some mm, you know what i'm saying and i was like man what is that i heard boys in the hood i was like what is that i heard freaky tales too short i was like what is that and you know and i just I, i just had to be a part of it man i just loved it it really moved me to my core that's awesome, bro. Cause hey, you know what I'm saying. You definitely open doors for a lot of artists just just by doing what you do. Yeah, I mean, you know, and I came from a from a uh, 
from a pretty rural background, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I grew up on a farm, but my pops worked at a store that was like the hood grocery store in the, in the town I grew up in. So I would spend half the time on the farm, you know what I'm saying, doing chores. Uh. And so I got that, that, that rural um, upbringing as far as that goes. But then, you know, he also drove the school bus. So I'd get off the school bus over there and, and basically be in the projects, you know what I'm saying, from three o'clock to 10 o'clock at night. And then and then even out in the country, my closest neighbor, which was like half a mile away, this is actually the person I credit introducing me to hip hop, cat named Dwayne. He was a black dude. He lived with his, his grandma part time down there, but he was getting taped from somewhere like, um, his, I think he had a cousin or something in like Baltimore or somewhere on the Eastern seaboard. And he was sending tapes to like, just different stuff. I don't know if he was recording like a radio mix show, but literally, like Biggie said, we would literally listen to these tapes until they exploded, <laughs> you know. And uh, and so I kind of had a, those. Those are the the um, factors that w- that were in place that led to me becoming me. You know what I'm saying? Like just having that balance. You know what I'm saying? I I, I was a country boy for sure, but uh, not. Co- not a lot of country music really spoke to me, particularly as a as a youngster, you know. But um, but hip hop music spoke to me. So as I as I set out to try to figure out how to, you know, um, do my thing when I was like, man, you know, it's really when I heard Outkast because they was like Georgia boys, you know. what I'm saying they, I, I grew up about forty five minutes from from you know like East Point from Atlanta where where uh, Cast came from. And when I heard them and saw the success they had and how much their music moved me and how much I related to it, but it was like a fresh and unique uh, perspective and coming from a, a, a fresh location would be like really the first chance to put on for Atlanta, like on a national scale. And um, and I was like, man, if there's ears for their voice. It might be some ears out there for my voice. And so it really inspired me. And then, um, and then I, I started figuring out how to, you know, because you kind of knew um, at certain times, right? Like, like uh, all the, the the controversy, Vanilla Ice. And I, you know, let me preface this by saying I fuck with Vanilla. I like I like Vanilla a lot. I met him a couple times, but there was a big controversy at the time that he originally came out. Basically, he had said he was from somewhere, you know, from Miami, but he was really from Dallas, Texas, or something, you know, something like that. And it really it really like kind of destroyed his, his credibility at that time. And, uh, and I just knew being, I said, man, I gotta, I gotta represent it, you know, truthfully and accurately and, and factually as far as where I came from and what I'm about, you know what I'm saying? So, so I, um, and the fact that cast had done it too, it kind of just gave me the courage to just slowly learn how to tell my story, you know, using hip hop as the medium. That's dope, bro. That, that that's definitely dope. So like, you know what I mean? Like in in your beginning stages, you know, like you you definitely accomplished a lot. Even linking up with Tim, like how did that come about? Yeah. Uh, I basically had been uh, signed to Interscope Records for about six months. A guy named Eric Williams. We had put out a CD independently. Um, the independent pre-Interscope version of Dark Days, Bright Nights, which was also the title of my my first album I put out on with Tim on Beat Club and with Interscope. And um, and this cat named Eric Williams was a uh, from Atlanta was was working at Interscope, and, and he got 
there were several factors at play, honestly. Like uh, Fred Durst was also working at Interscope, and he was the first person that heard my music. And he um, he wanted to sign me, but, but we actually had uh, a crazy run-in. I mean, to try to break down the story, the production company I was signed to at the time, uh, Shannon House's company, which was called 11th Hour at this time, um, he had agreed in principle to um, to a production deal with one of the preeminent Crips, uh, Mike Conception is his name, and much respect to Mike, but and he had a guy working for him named Craig Nobles, and even though I wasn't even a part of the deal, and they didn't even end up paying on the deal to so the production company that I was also signed to, but they had agreed to one in terms, and then my name started buzzing, and Basically, Fred Durst was getting ready to sign me. He saw Craig Noble somewhere, and they basically uh, pressed Fred, like, nah, Bubba Sparks are all artists. But meanwhile, I'm back in Athens, Georgia, where I was living at the time, and I ain't got nothing going on. And I'm like, man, fuck all that. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I was, like, really frustrated because I thought that through the Fred thing that that was my, that that was my, uh, my pathway to, to, to getting it in. And, you know, it... it um, so it ended up getting shut down for about a year. And then Gerardo Mejia, uh, who, uh, if anybody recalls, uh, he had a song called Rico Suave back in like the late 80s. And he was actually the first artist ever um, ever released on Interscope Records. And, and Jimmy Iovine, uh, the, the CEO of Interscope at the time, kept him around, gave him an A&R job. He had a lot of Latin music, but he heard my stuff and he was real passionate about it. And... You know, I guess everything had blown over with, with my conception and those guys by then. And, and uh, or, you know, Jimmy took care of it some kind of way. And, and, and But Gerardo made the deal happen. And Jimmy um, was really, really hyped about my project. But he, I think based on the fact that Eminem and Dre had had so much success, kind of with the white boy being dope, but then the, the being signed to the black producer and that kind of given, given, yeah the white boy some credibility you know at that at that time it, it, it's kind of hard to, to imagine that kind of like narrative and that kind of um circumstance at this time you know hell, cause there's so many white rappers but at that time you know it was just a few you know a couple you know um in that period and um and so he, he tried basically trying to put me with, with swiss beats um we made a couple of records. We didn't really, you know, Swiss is incredible, but we really just didn't have that type of chemistry. And um, and I wanted to work with Rico Wade from the Dungeon Family. I had, I had already had a relationship with him. I had met him. And, uh, you know, the Dungeon Family is what raised me. But the problem was Jimmy had just basically ended a $30 million deal with Organized Noise, and they had parted ways and whatever. You know, and so it, that made it a little politically funny. Me, even though I, I worked with Rico for years and still do, and that's my brother. But um, but um, but then he called me one night and he was like, "I'm meeting with Timberland tonight." I was like, "Man, Jimmy, that'd be perfect, bro. I know what you're trying to do. You know, that would be perfect." And he called me that night uh, later with Tim and and. Uh, you know, and Tim didn't believe I was white. I was white, <laughs> and then, uh, and, but you know, the next day or a couple of days later, I was on a flight going out to LA, and me and Tim got got in the studio for two weeks, and 
and made the Timberland portion of Dark Days, Bright Nights, even though a lot of the songs from the independent release still made it on there, that like Shannon Houchins and a guy named Gio and a guy named Cal Fani had produced. But, um, but yeah, that, and that, that's how it kicked off, man. And then we did Ugly. You know, that was the last song that we did during those two weeks. And and we just kind of knew instantly, like, wow, this this joke right here is special. Damn. Talking about that's the, the ugly song, yeah. Hey, that's dope. So, like, you know, speaking of the ugly song, um, just in general, do you mind if I um if, if I name a few of your songs that I felt like are some of your dopest material, and then you just tell me like I, the, the secret behind I love 42. it? I love um, forty two. Man, <laughs> like if if I could um if if I list you know what I'm saying some songs and you just tell me the history behind them and like how the songs was made and you know yeah, let's do it, man. Okay, so the first song, well, one of the one of the dopest songs that I, that I came across from you, and it was like, and it was definitely an accidental song, but the song so dope. I was just listening to it the other day. It's called nice. um, ah, the song the song is from the second album, Deliverance, and it's yeah. called um, She Tried with Ryan Tedder. How did that song come yeah, about? Man. Basically, you know, we could come out the first album with Ugly and we had the, the, the country images in the video. Um, but the music was still very urban. And we were just, we were just going, you know, and we went platinum the first time around. But, you know, at Interscope at that time, that was kind of a letdown. You know what I'm saying? And so we really wanted to damn go in and like make a statement on the second album. So we gambled on this whole new sound that Deliverance was. And basically, the goal was, and I have to give Timberland credit for this because I did not want to go that country at the time, not with the music. And that was his vision. Um, I had just had We Ready with Archie. I'd had a, a number one yeah. urban record with, with Ugly. And so I, I really was more like, man, let's keep building on that. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm country just myself. You know what I'm saying? Like, like we don't have to go this deep into it. But he, you know, we made a few songs. I think the first one was a song called Coming Round. It sampled uh, the Younger Mountain Stream Band. See you coming round. And, uh, and it turned out crazy. And I was like, wow, you might be on to something. And then, uh, you know, as we were getting into the interior of the album, which we did mostly in Miami, but um, we did the meat of the album. And then we need, we felt like we needed two more songs. And one of them was a song called Jimmy Mathis. Um, but then the other one, basically Ryan Tanner, he had just come around, coming to the fold, um, you know, around Tim and all of us. And, um, and he was, him and his boy, I forget his boy's name, man, but they, they were playing like that fiddle, the violin or whatever. And, and he came up with that, that, you know, that, uh, that part. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, the, the music behind it too, you know, I think his boy played that part. And then Ryan came up with the, with the chorus for it, and he sang it, and then Tim put the drums up under it, and it was just, and I caught a mean, sick flow on it, and then, you know, was able to dig in and really, um, really get into the perspective of, of what the song represented, meaning, and I think we can all relate to that as, like, as artists, you know, and just as people, you know, of the girl that you lost, you know what I'm saying, by being on your bullshit, you know, and, and basically... Um, it wasn't about one girl in particular, even though that's how the, the song came across. Um, it was really like a, a combination of my experiences with a few different women. And so, um, 
But yeah, that song is amazing to this day. That whole album, I mean, honestly, like you could release it today. Why? Why is the timeless piece? I think, and why people still rave about it, is because it was so unique. It was probably way too unique uh, for the time, but um, it was so unique that you could you could re-release it today, and it would still sound just as bold and just as you know cutting edge and progressive as it did in two thousand three. Yeah, that's a fact. Hey, big facts. Like, bro, like I said, like, I ran across that song accidentally. I don't know how, what I was doing, but, and it was just like, man, everything went together so perfectly from the beat, that hook, how you talk your shit. And it's like, damn, yeah. boss. Nah, that joint was hard, man. I can't, you know what I'm saying? Like, like I, I really, me and Timberland had, a, had an incredible chemistry, man. Uh, organized Noise on that album also produced Back in the Mud, Like It or Not, New South, the intro, uh, Not Yet Free. Um, Big Shug, my boy Big Shug from the uh, Dungeon Family was on there from Society of Soul. Sleepy Brown was on there. Hell, Justin Timberlake's on that album, you know. Um, and then not to mention Ryan Tedder, you know what I'm saying? And that was kind of his debut, um, at least to my knowledge. And that, that definitely was the beginning of uh, his relationship with, with Tim and all of us. So, yeah, man, it was, just, it was a special project. Uh, and that, that song in particular, boy, it was just jamming. Like, man, man them drums was just eating on that thing. Yeah, hey, and that's something, hey, that's a song that, bro, I promise you, like, I wasn't going through something like that in particular, but it was just a banger. Like, bro, I definitely had it on repeat a few times. That's what's up, man. Much love. Yeah, for real. No problem, bro. So, um, another song I want to ask you about, well, um, you know what I'm saying? You mentioned it was the Archie Eversall uh, song. The We Ready? Yeah. How did that song come about? That's a fucking classic, bro. That's a Man, well, you know, that, shout out to Archie, man. That's that's my dog, man. Great guy, man. Uh, he, he did a beard for a while. He's back home now. He's flourishing. He's doing amazing, man. I talk to him sometimes on Instagram. Um, but he's a, he's a super cool kid. He was like, I was 25 at the time that song came out, but he was like 16, 17 years old at the time. Wow. And the song had already... The song had already come out and it was already a hit in Atlanta. But they were looking for an artist to feature on it that would take it worldwide. You know, they just done a deal with MCA, I think it was. And I'll never forget Greg Street, uh, legendary, you know, radio on the air personality for B103 in Atlanta. He hit me up and was like, um, he was like, yo, he's like, man. Got, there's a joint, man, that's popping in the city, man. I, you know, I think you need to get on it, you know. And I went down and, and heard it because I had been on tour or something, so I wasn't that familiar with it. But I dropped my verse on it, like, the same day or the next day. And then, and that's honestly, like, through the through NCA, that was, like, the most I ever got paid for a feature. I think I got, like, 60 racks. Um, yeah. You know, which at the time was, was was a lot of money. You know what I'm saying? Like I know a lot of these cats getting a hundred, two hundred thousand now, but sixty racks back at that time for a twelve bar verse that was a lot. But um, but yeah, shout out to Archie and, and that that became a transcendent song too. You know, you still will hear that in any number of football stadiums or just sports arenas in general um, these days, man. But shout out to Archie for sure. That's dope. That's dope. Uh, another song of yours that, that you had came off the Rough Riders, I think it was Volume 3, uh, the song yeah. with Jadakiss. Yeah. Man. Yep. Uh, they, they, they ain't ready. Man, bro. Hey, first of all, that beat goes so fucking hard. 
definitely held your own. It wasn't a lopsided song. You definitely killed your... Nah, and, he, and, and to be honest with you, Kiss actually, he pulled kind of a fast one on me, man. He uh he changed his verse. He he did a, a certain... I don't think he thought I was going to come as hard as I did. He did a, a verse uh the first night we recorded it, and then, like, I dropped mine like the next day, and then by the time the song came out, he had changed his first verse. <laughs> and that's, that's facts. Like, but, um... But yeah, I mean, he he really he really came on that third verse, which you know he I remember he had texted me the lyrics on the on them old uh, uh, two way pages, Motorola two way pages. He had, he had sent me the lyrics to the to the third verse. I guess when he was getting ready to spit it or whatever, because we he did the first verse the uh, first night, the second night I did the second verse, and then uh, I did the second verse in the first half of the third verse, and then later on he did the third verse. But I, when he went and did the third verse. He murdered that. That's the highlight of the song, period, to me. He's talking about, we can let the gas pop from the old rifles on the dirt roads to the handguns on the black top. Like, he murdered that shit. But he definitely changed quite a bit of his, his first verse. And I, I don't know what was up with that, but it was, um, you know, I, I I couldn't say for sure, but, but I know I killed it. You know what I'm saying? Maybe I don't think he, he or anybody else was expecting me to get on there as fast like that. Yeah, hey, you you def like I said, you definitely held your own. Something that a lot of people that do tracks with Jada can't do. Oh yeah, nah, he's the king of that. That's uh, you know that slow flow punchline shit. Like to me, you know, what I'm saying in the spirit of Cool G rap and you know a lot of other you know New York legends, um, just getting on that gutter gutter shit, man. I don't I don't know who's better. I mean, the locks period, but but Jada Kiss always stood out to me. You know, he he just man. Rock, wordplay, punchlines, I mean, just metaphors, I mean, everything, man. He just, he's a true, he's definitely in my top 10 all time, for sure. Oh, uh, yeah, no no doubt, no doubt. Big up to kids, because, like, no, no lie, um, 
Well, as I'm looking at the hits, you know what I'm saying? You, you got, bro, like, hey, ain't nobody seeing you in no verses, bro. I, I definitely think you could hold your own if you ever decide to do a verses. Yeah. I mean, well, you know, they had always talked about, uh, everybody just always think me and Paul Wall because we, we kind of was the two white boys of a, of a certain era as far as our mainstream success. And much love to Paul. But, um, you know, I, I I would feel pretty pretty comfortable going going into that. You know, that, that particular yeah. situation about my chances. You know, that's not to take anything away from him, but um, you know, I I don't know. I, I don't think a lot of people I think as if I wasn't a versus and as it unfolded, I think a lot of people would be shocked. You know, they would be like, Oh damn, I forgot, I forgot you know what I mean? Because a lot of people just like to try to typecast me, especially younger folks is like just a Miss New Booty dude, which, you know, anybody just been co- remotely coherent, you know, for the past twenty years knows that that ain't the whole story. That's just a, a part of it. Yeah, and it may be it may be the exclamation point, you know, or the or the highlighted section. But I don't think that song defines my career at all. Even though I'm I'm grateful for it and and, and you know love the twins and love Mr. Tyler Park, but but um, you know it, it was definitely a crazy animal that song, but. Now, what about um another song that I think like um uh, and you pretty much mentioned it as well, the the ugly song. Like, how did that song come about? Man, that was the last when, when me and Tim Tim initially went in the studio, uh, to work on the first album. That was our last song that we did, and you know, to be honest, up to that point, I was like, man. I don't feel like I got a classic Timberland beat yet. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. like, like, is that your chick? Big pimping. You know, I mean, I'm drawing a blank right now, but all the incredible beats that Tim's done, you know what I'm saying? Like, classic Timberland sound, you know what I'm saying? Get your freak on. And obviously, you know, Ugly was done somewhat in the spirit. The beat was done somewhat in the spirit of Get Your Freak On. And, um, but when I heard that ugly beat, I was like, whoa, that's a Timbo beat right there. You know what I'm saying? Like, and so, yeah, I had to eat on that one. You know, Cats be trying to freestyle over that beat and do me a disservice and act like I didn't kill it. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Like, it, you know, it, that was 2001, first of all. You know what I'm saying? So it was a, it was a different era. You're talking 20 years ago, literally 21 years ago, this fall. Um Man, nobody got on that beat at that time and really did too much more with it. You know what I'm saying? Like, especially like, I think people would have overwrapped on it instead of just sitting back in the pocket of the flow and making it a hit song. You know what I'm saying? That people could repeat the lyrics to. Um, you know, because I remember it was similar to Get Your Freak On, but it was a different bounce. But I remember, if I'm pretty sure I remember correctly, that Timberland had tried to get Jay Z to Get Your Freak On beat. And he couldn't catch a flow on it. And Missy, you know, she, you know, she, I ain't saying she came on there as lyrical as, as, as Jay would have, but she caught a stupid, stupid hop, you know, flow on that, on that joint. Cause, you know, it made it a hit song and facilitated it being a hit. Sometimes as a rapper, we want to just rap, 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 rapidly rap. But sometimes you just got to chill out and do what the song is asking you to do in order to facilitate it being a, a, a hit or whatever the goal is. Sometimes you just go rapidly rap intro, you know what I'm saying? Like, but if you really are trying, that's, and that's something I learned from Tim, you know, Tim would always say, um, that 
ultimately our voice, you know, our, when we're rapping on a beat, your voice is, is nothing more than a sound in the music. You know, just another layer of sound in the music as it registers to the human brain. You know, when, when, when listeners hear it, you know, and that's why tone is so important. Tone to a rapper is like key or pitch to a singer. And, um, you know, I, I don't even think that occurs to a lot of rappers, especially these days, because, you know, they might have a dope flow and be in pocket right, but the tone just be wrong. And it, and it sounds like, to me, you know, with such a fine-tuned ear, it sounds like, like somebody scratching a chalkboard with their fingernails. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like somebody sings out of, out of pitch or out of key. It's like, it's just, you know what I'm saying? Like to, to somebody like with perfect pitch, that shit sound like, you know, the worst sound in the world. Yeah. Okay. You know what I'm saying? And, and that's dope because like that right there, like I remember first time hearing it, bro. Like it was like, yo, you snapped that, and that's a song that I think that even if they did try to remake it or reboot it, like it, it'll never be. You know what I'm saying? What the original was. You know what I'm saying? You, you definitely killed it and made a snap on that one. Yeah. I, and it, Again, man, I was learning so much at that time because that was my first time working with Tim. And so, um, you know, looking back on it, you know, I was kind of green. You know what I'm saying? I was, you know, 23, 24 years old, and I had never been in no setting like that. Like, you know what I'm saying, working with Timberland in L.A. and, and uh, Westlake Studios on Beverly, you know what I'm saying? And, and, it, and it was a big moment. But I think I... I uh, you know, I, I represented myself well, and I. But the, the the point is, ever since the first time I ever went in the studio and rapped, I believe that I'm on an upward trajectory, even to this day, that I keep getting better and better and better, regardless of you know what the what the response. You know, I I don't have a major label budget to get music, you know, to promote music and market it at this point, but I still really do really well because I'm, I'm fortunate to have a, a a solid core fan base. But um, I believe that. that my my music has, has especially what I bring to the music it's continually gotten better but that's all a result of having the opportunity to, to study under people like Timbo and, and, and Rico Wade and and you know even working with Pharrell um, you know Jermaine working with Jermaine Dupree later you know Mr. Collett Park you know I, I've been blessed man Oh uh, yeah, hey, you know what I'm saying. Speaking of college part, um, the last song I want to ask you about, you know what I'm saying, is no yeah. doubt up the the banger. You know what I'm saying. The the whole yeah. Miss New Booty joint. How did that come about? That song was crazy too. That shit took well, over the whole know, year. Well, I had I had uh, you know, Timberland and Jimmy Iovine uh, parted ways as far as the beat club, um, um, Interscope relationship and uh. And, you know, Timberland was kind of in a self-discovery uh, process that, and like really rediscovering himself and, and getting his, his mind and his heart right. And that in the time that led up to him doing all the stuff with Justin and, and you know, but there was a, about a two year period there where he was really just uh, he was just transitioning, you know, in, in his own spirit, in his mind, you know, what I'm saying and figuring out how what his next move needed to be, getting in shape physically. That was right when all that happened. And uh, I had a great relationship with Big Boy from Outkast, you know, um, me being a member of the Dungeon family. And, and 
he was like, man, I don't know what's going on. You know, I was kind of at a standstill. Jimmy Iovine had given me the option of staying on Interscope Records, but I didn't want to be over there, you know, because it was, it was heavy aftermath and, um, you know, shady and G-Unit leaning at that time. They kind of, they kind of had, had the door. They were kind of running the spot. And, um, and so kind of anything, as long as I had Timberland politics, I felt like I was pretty safe. And my boy Polo Don was actually coming in the door over there at the time. And had he been a little more established, I might have just stayed and rocked with him. But you kind of you were only as, as strong at Interscope at that time as the imprints you were signed to. And so I really didn't want to be over there, you know, on the island by myself. So, and Big, you know, had a had a situation with Virgin Records with Purple Ribbon, and um, and so and it was for a lot of money. You know what I'm saying, and and, and so I took it, and then um, you know, and 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 it was interesting too because the whole way New Booty came about is basically, you know, I came out with Ugly uh, on my first album. That was a club banger, you know, a number one radio record. And then with Deliverance and that album and that project, we had tried such a different sound, you know, at a time when um, the radio was was crunk. It was Lil John went. Uh, you know, get low with the Yin Yang Twins, and that was kind of the sound that was was taking center stage at that time. And um, and here we come with na 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 You know what I'm saying? Like Deliverance, and it still went top ten and top twenty at pop. Wasn't a factor in urban radio, but it did well. You know, and the album did pretty good. It just didn't go. It, we needed it to sell five million and it sold five hundred thousand. Which at the time that sounds like a lot of records now, but at the time on Interscope Records, everybody was selling three million. You know, so it was that compared. I mean, uh, that along with Tim's fledgling relationship, him kind of being on the outs with Jimmy, that was enough to you know dissolve that situation. But um, but you know, I had had on that project. I kind of. My show money, I was doing more like tours and college shows and stuff like that, but it was less money and I had a band at the time. And so I was really just tired of that whole vibe. And I and it had been two years since I had put out a project and I had accumulated some 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 things at that time, you know. And um and I needed a hit. I needed to make a lot of a lot of money again, you know what I'm saying? And we had yeah. tried to put out a couple of songs uh, produced by one produced by Timberland actually. And uh, called uh, a little gratitude, and then um, one feature of Petey Pablo, produced by Organized Noise, called The Other Side, which are, they're both great records, but they just didn't work at radio at that time. And I was kind of down to my third strike over there. And Jermaine Dupree came over and uh, taking over the urban department at Virgin, and um, and he had uh, Eddie Weathers, his A and R, had the idea for me to go on with Mr. Collar Park. You know, DJ Smurf. And me and him went in and, you know, we went to the strip club first. I'll never forget. You know what I'm saying? And and uh, and, and, and so we kind of had that vibe in our minds. And then we came back and hit the studio. And I just remember him saying, man, the concept is like new. It's like new booty, like the movie Players Club. You know, they talking about the new girl in the strip club, new booty. And I was like, oh, yeah, I was like, I found you, Miss New Booty. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I came up with that part. And then and then um, at first I was saying hit the treadmill for about a month or two. 
And then we was like, nah, that sounds fucked up. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's kind of yeah. like, you know, that's, that's kind of like not valuing, you know, our big, beautiful women out there, you know what I'm saying? And kind of a slight to them. And so, and then he was like, nah, say Players Club right there. And then that's kind of a nod to, to where we got it from, the movie Players Club. And and we did it that night. Or I did my verse, or took both of my verses, and then we did the, the I found you, Miss New Booty, and then the get it right, get it right, get it tight. And then we was like, the twins need to get on this. Oh, you know, he said that. And I was like, yes, because they were, they were sis, they were firecracker hot at that time. And, um, and they came in the next day, and, uh, Kane added the uh booty 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 rocking everywhere and it was just like and I remember that night I was like I am going to literally despise this song it's gonna be so big mm. and sure enough it was you know what I'm saying like it, and I said that jokingly but I kind of have grown I do have a love hate relationship with the song but at the end of the day you know it's it's it sold a lot of millions and and they're really good to me financially. And uh, it's, it's actually just got sampled in a new song by uh, the chick Chloe Bailey. Um, it's her, on her new single, it sampled it, and we own a piece of that. So we're really pulling for that one to do about ten million. But um, but um, yeah, it it, it kind of just it, with new booty, it wasn't even no mystery to it. Like as soon as we serviced it, it basically just caught on fire, you know. And it had it was one of the biggest songs of the year in the whole world. Uh, for 2006, 2007. Yeah, because hey, you know what I'm saying? Also, because in that era, too, like, it was ringtones. You know, ringtone money was yeah. going crazy. We, we, stole, we stole about 2 million ringtones, yeah, no doubt. Yeah. And, 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 and total downloads since, uh, it's it's like 7 million. Yeah. So, like, 7, 7 million. And, um, and it's been in countless movies. You know what I'm saying? And, and like I said, it, it, Lil' Kim and uh, OT Genesis song a couple years ago sampled it. Um, you know, it's been sampled a few times, but I think this Chloe Bailey joint has got um, has got some some real potential to be a really huge record. But um, but yeah, it changed it changed my life, and it, hey, and it put me back in there financially. You know what I'm saying? So you know it it uh. It was definitely good to me, but it was it definitely got to be a little bit overkill. And then, you know, it kind of coincided with with some personal issues I had in life following the the, the, the apex of Miss of the Miss New Booty joint, and uh, and so I kind of just fell off the map there for a couple of years, trying to take care of myself. I had some addiction issues at that time, I was addicted to uh, pain pills, and uh, and went to rehab, and then kind of just resented music there for a while getting rid of recording thing and then by the time you know two years passes it's 2009 i had you know what i'm saying that things were starting to evolve more quickly at that time because of technology styles of change and it took me a while to just get adjusted and get caught back up and then become a trendsetter again because like i said i just really wasn't fucking with music much during that period but so that that added to the narrative of me falling off after miss new booty or whatever and and, and i kind of just got to accept part of that but but um, but I, I'm definitely grateful for for the damn, you know, for the success of that record. But it, like I said, I don't think that shit defines my career in any stretch. By any stretch, I've had several chapters. If you really, really watch it, you know? yeah, I, yeah, you know what I'm saying. I, I, I definitely agree. Like I said, I, I, I definitely think that you you a hip hop legend. The game definitely needed you. 
know what I'm saying? For sure. Yeah. I, well, I needed the game more, but yeah, the game needed me. <laughs> yeah, for real. For like I said, you definitely opened a lot of doors. You know what I'm saying? Definitely opened up a lot of doors. So like, you know what I'm you saying? Know, and, and, I'm glad. I'm grateful to have been able to, to to do that. You know what I'm saying? It's like I, when I met Eminem uh, back when the anger management tour was going on in like it's 2003, something like that. He paid me the highest compliment. He said, he said, um, he said, I don't know. He said, I first he said I got nothing but love and respect for you, and then he said, um, he said, um, I don't know if you would have ever made it had there never been a me. But you deserve to, you deserve to, to be here, whether there was ever a me or not. And basically, what he was referencing was the fact that that if he had bust down the door where labels just started signing white rappers right and left, and and probably a lot of cats got opportunities they probably wouldn't have typically. You know what I'm saying? If they wasn't white. But he was saying, but it was just the thing to do to try to sign the next Eminem or next Bubba Sparks at that time, and. He was basically saying, like, you know, you deserve to be here regardless of whether I was here or not. That's and I, and I, that, that really meant a lot to me. Even though he ended up uh, dissing me later. I mean, he, had a, he had a song leak where he dissed me, but he even paid homage to me in, 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 in the diss the way he said it. But but uh, he had a record leaked or whatever. And I, but I wasn't really tripping off of it because, like I said, he... He really kind of paid me a compliment while dissing me, and he was dissing Paul too, Paul Wall. But um, but you know, um, I ain't, I'm not on, I'm not a white rapper hater. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I've never been the kind of dude to like want to. You know, a lot of white dudes got this mindset like they want to be the only white boy at the all black party or whatever. That that was never my thing, man. Um, I always any white boy I've ever met, I try to show love and respect to. Um, you know, it all hadn't always been reciprocated, and a lot of a lot of cats want to try to act like they ain't sitting on my shoulders now, but they are, and that's just yeah. the facts. You can't you, you can't change dates, you can't change the impact that I had, and um, and so you know. But I'm grateful to, I'm grateful to be a part of that foundation because I always respect my predecessors, Chris. You know what I'm saying? I respect yeah. even the white boys like Everlast. You know what I'm saying? Even though. He's kind of a different type of dude in person, but I still got lots of lots of love and respect for him, um, for what he did in the game. You know, even like Vanilla Ice, the Beastie Boys, you know, third base. You know, I mean, I, I just I got, I got love for anybody of any color just, just, just representing this shit the right way, you know, correctly, and, and it's dope. That's what's up, bro. You know what I'm saying? I, I definitely salute you, bro. You know what I mean? So, you know what I mean? Like, you performing, like, who, who you, like, you, you travel the world a few times or whatnot. Like, what's your favorite place to perform at? Who shows the most love? Uh, I mean, I always love performing in Georgia because it's home, man. Anywhere in Georgia is, is, like, home to me, you know, as far as the love I get. Uh, really anywhere in the South. But, I mean, I, I mean, the Northwest, Northern Cali up through, like, Oregon and Washington's always showed me a lot of love. I'm actually going to, this weekend, I'm going to Alaska for the first time and performing, and that will be the 50th and final state. That's the only state I haven't been to and performed in is Alaska, and I'm, and I'm doing that this weekend, so I'm pretty excited for that and definitely grateful. But, um, you know, I, I've been to, um, like, Dubai, you know what I'm saying? I've been all over Europe. Um, the Maldives and the Indian Ocean off the coast of India, man. I've been a lot of cool places. And, um, 
you know, I um I couldn't really say a favorite, man. Like I you know, I, I love America, I love being in America, you know what I'm saying? So as far as like the the, the different cities and the culture and flair, you know, I love San Diego, California, I love New Orleans, I love Seattle, Washington, I love Atlanta, you know what I'm saying? It's home. I've been living in Nashville for seven years. I lived in Tampa for three years, Denver, you know. So there's just so many great places with great people, and it's just you can appreciate the different flair that each place and each country has to offer. That's... Even though I like Asia, like like Japan, and uh, and I, I had actually had a number one record in Australia, and New Zealand, but still haven't had the opportunity to make it down there. Um, had a tour scheduled a couple couple years ago, and it got canceled. But um, but you know, I, I, those are those are places that are still on my my artist bucket list. That's and I'll get there at some point. Oh yeah, yeah, no, no doubt, no doubt. Like you know, what I mean, when you perform it, is there a specific song? It's like the crowd looks for you to perform, and it's like that tears the club up or wherever it is you performing at. I mean, it's just different songs for different crowds. You know what I'm saying? Um, like um, you know, so I got some of my more country leaning records, like country folks, and like um, um. You know, deliverance in that project, like some crowds, that's what they grab, that's what they want to hear, that vibe. Then there's uh, certain places that want to hear, um, you know, ugly, you know what I'm saying? Like there's, and then there's certain places I go where they just, I do a lot of strip clubs, they want to hear that new booty and they heat it up, you know what I'm saying? And, yeah. and I like it a lot. Another another joint I got that Mr. Colin Park produced that, that really, the, the chicks love a lot. And so it just depends, you know what I'm saying? It's, um, we ready. We ready in the kryptonite, you know, me and Big and everybody. Like, I was on that joint, you know, and it's, um, I say I got a pretty, pretty sturdy little catalog, you know what I'm saying? Like, I ain't, I ain't got nothing to apologize about as far as, you know, what I brought to the game or what I continue to bring to the game and, and what, um, and the fact that I introduced something original, you know what I'm saying, that, that had never existed before because that's, that's what I look at when I look at artists like, if I can trace an artist, artist lineage, like, oh, I know who your favorite rapper is, you know, yeah. too, too easily, then I, I you know, I, they still can be dope, you know what I'm saying? But, um, but I, I like originals, you know what I'm saying? Things, that people that, that are entities and artists in artistry that didn't exist prior to their arrival, you know what I'm saying? And so, um, and I feel like you, Anybody that with, with two eyes and, and a, a functional brain should be able to see and understand that that, that that's me too. So that's dope. That's dope. So you know what I mean. Besides your legendary career and the things you've accomplished, what's next from Bubble Sparks? Man, I'm doing. I'm, I'm about to get into acting, man. I'm about to do what you're doing, man. I, I I got I got some ideas for some. I want to do like a, a podcast, obviously, like like because that's just kind of like a mixtape in two thousand three. Having a podcast now, like yeah. <laughs> everybody's got one. But um, but you know, I I want to I want to do a variety show. Um, uh, we have skits and then have like a musical guest, similar to Saturday Night Live, but just more southern and country. You know, that's dope. That's dope. Can we expect any new music anytime soon? Um. Man, I got two projects done that uh, I may drop in the next in the next six months or so. Um, and I'm I'm working on a project called Mudfly with my 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 brother Charlie P out of Cashville, and um, 
you know, and and uh, I don't know. I, I I make like I said, I don't make music sometimes, and then and then and then take a, like intentionally take breaks from making it. You know what I'm saying? Like I just sometimes things come up and you can't get in there as much as you'd like to. But uh, I'll always be making music, and and I'll always drop something once every you know year or so, regardless. That's dope. That's dope. You know what I'm saying? One one other thing is that you you know, you collaborated with a bunch of legendary artists, whether it's from Timberland to you know what I'm saying, the Ying Yang twins, the you know what I'm saying, Ryan Tedder. You know what I'm saying? You work with a lot of legendary people. Is there anybody that you would like to work with that you haven't worked with yet? Um, not really, man. Not really. You know what I'm saying? I've been blessed. I mean, it, there's people I would work with, but as far as saying like somebody that that I want to work with, like I would, I still haven't done a song with him. I would like to do a song with him at some point. I, I really would like to do a project with Paul Wall. Um, I think that would be received pretty well. I think me and Petey Pablo might do a project. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, give him some of that th- throwback beat, cl- beat club energy. Um, you know, but at the same time, those are more like people like I consider like friends and family like in Petey's case and, and me and Mr. Tyler Park we talked about doing a take together you know what I'm saying I, you know I still mess with Yellow Wolf and, 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 and the Slamerican fam you know what I'm saying so it's, it's definitely uh, up in there that we could do some more work together because uh, because we had a, a definite chemistry and, and a good sound uh, on the, the music we did together the project that he he, uh, he produced with me but um yeah, there's nobody that just stands out. I mean, I, I'm a fan of people, but at the same time, like, I don't necessarily mean I want to make music with them as far as, as contemporary people because it just, it's just not a good fit. But I love all kind of hip-hop music and just music in general. That's cool. That's cool. How you feel about today's era in music? Like, do you have any favorite artists you listen to? Yeah, I mean, I like a lot of different artists, but um, to me, this era is just like every other era. You know what I'm saying? It's some trash and it's some good shit. You know what I mean? And you can find whatever you're looking for. You know, but it's just slightly different stylistically because obviously the music is going to evolve and progress. You know, the, the the content lets me down a little bit sometimes because it's so yeah. consistently just on murder, murder, kill, kill bullshit. Yeah. But I get it. That's a reflection of the streets. Um, you know, but um, yeah. I like, I think Lil Durk's hard. You know what I'm saying? As far as like contemporary cats, I'm just a little baby. Um, you know, I, 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 I still check out Nas's new albums when they come out. You know, like, I pretty much just, I like ESTG, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. he's super dope to me. Um, Moneybag, yo, I mean, like, I, I, I look on Apple Music every week to see what came out, and I'll I be listening to, to, to a lot of different stuff, but... Yeah, but that don't necessarily mean I'm trying to go make no music with those kind of, because it's just, it's just, you know... Uh, it doesn't. It doesn't really fit. Yeah. But um, but I, I love to listen to it. I feel you. I feel you. So hey, you know I'm not gonna hold you up too long. You know what I'm saying? Before you wrap it up, for those that's tuning in, you got any encouraging words for those that's trying to get in the game and accomplish some of the great things you've accomplished? I, you know, this this era is so different. The way people get on now, like yeah, you know, back like I said, I put out an independent CD in Georgia, sold five six thousand copies, and started buzzing. You know. Sooner or later, you know, Interscope 
comes knocking because of, of that work we put in. But I really don't know as far as like the business aspect of how you would get on like now. But I just know this. There's something unique and different about every person born into this world that separates them from every other person that's ever been born into this world or will ever be born into this world. And to me, great art is about the ability to make whatever it is that's unique about you that separates you from every other motherfucker to translate into your music, you know what I'm saying, or into your art, whether it's music, playing quarterback, being a painter, being a plumber, whatever it is you do. And so that's why I would just say be original. You know what I'm saying? Tap into whatever it is that's unique about you. Feel good about it. Embrace it. Love yourself. And then give give that to the world. And nobody can ever compare or compete with that because that's you. That's facts. That's deep, bro. For real, for real. A lot of people definitely need to hear that because originality is something that, you know what I'm saying, I, to me, in my opinion, the game lacks very much off. It's, it, there's a there's a lot of uh, repetitive vibes going on, but it's really always been that way. If you really think back on it, people people bite. You know that's 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 what you know lesser lesser men and lesser women do. They they, they bite on on people that, <laughs> that, that, that you know that set the trends. Yeah, cause set the bar. It happens. I mean, because, like, the era you came in, like, you knew who was who when you heard him on the radio. Like, you knew DMX was DMX when you heard him on the song. Right. You you knew Jay right. was Jay, Snoop was Snoop. It's like, nowadays, when I tell you a, a lot of people sound the same with the whole cadence, the same flow, the delivery yeah. and all, it, it's pretty much yeah. harder now. Nah, they, they done wore out that, that flow for sure. Amigos type flow, like except just more auto tuned up. They just yeah. they don't wore that shit out. That yeah. shit is it's time to put that motherfucker in the coffin. Yeah, hey, you you want to know something crazy that, that I think is dope about you in the era you came up in is that you guys had the um that big tick of the basement. A lot of these artists nowadays want to survive in the basement. Another interesting story. Today, the first time I was supposed to do Tigger's basement, Rap City Tigger's basement, was nine eleven. Uh-huh. I was in New York. I was in New York. I was supposed to do it that morning. And obviously, what happened happened. You know, that horrible, horrible shit. And I didn't get to do it. I had to do it like two or three weeks later. But but I, yeah, I grew up watching Tigger's Basement. I mean, Rap City, period. Chris DeJour. You know, it was, I, I, I love Rap City. Yeah. I love BET, the 106 Park era. That was my era. Man, I swear it'll never be another. That now nah, that's the golden era. It'll never be another era like that, bro. Man, people, you could. There's so much accessibility to quote unquote stars today. Every time you cut on the damn Instagram or whatever, I mean, it just it, it's it's just so accessible. Back then, stars were still stars because. You know, that TV was something. You know what I'm saying? Like, when that's the main way people saw you, when people saw you on TV, that shit had value, man. You know, unlike, you know, I'm saying that the star, there's still some stars out there today. I'm not saying there's not, but I'm just saying it's it's definitely different. And technology has made the world just a smaller place, and it's just harder to amaze people. People still got amazed at that time by shit. You know what I'm saying? And seeing somebody they had seen on TV definitely amazed people. Man, yeah, that was crazy. That era, man, for real, because it's like now everyone is in everybody's business, you know, and that create more drama and drama, you know. Yep. No doubt. That's real. 
No doubt, though, bro. Definitely honored to have you on the show. No, I appreciate you taking the time out to talk to me, man, for sure. Oh, for sure, boss. No problem. Anytime, hey, whenever you want to drop something or, you know, got something going on, you want to chop it up, you know what I'm saying? It's definitely an honor. That's a bet, man. That's a bet. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to definitely take you up on that. All right. For sure, boss. Good looking, man. All right. All right. All right. Peace. Peace. Yo, there you have it. Super dope interview with the big homie Bubba Sparks. Man, crazy history, man. Legendary artist in my eyes, you know. There you have it. Another dope interview with your boy Smith. You know what I'm saying? Signing off on the Smith Express show. You already know what it is. Let's get it. Yeah.